Welcome to the True Detective Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to the weirdness of the long night. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our season wrap-up coverage for True Detective Season 4, written and directed for HBO by Issa Lopez. To help us break down the season, we've got a special guest with us today. Author and podcaster Ron Dawson will be joining us right after the intro. We're going to start off with our hot takes on the season as a whole. From there, we're going to use all the feedback we got as our framework to work through all the issues that this season of television has raised. We got a ton of feedback and we're able to include everyone who took the time to write in. But in some cases, we've edited for brevity uh, so that we can get to everyone. The season's over. So if you need to get in touch with us, use our lorehounds at thelorehounds.com email address to get in touch or head over to our contact page on our website. And there you can use the contact form or record us a voicemail. Also, join us on our Discord. You can find links to the Discord and all of our other contact details and our affiliate podcast in the show notes. Our family is growing, and we just launched a new podcast called Rings and Rituals, co-hosted by Marilyn R. Pukila and Dr. Sarah Brown, about all the rituals seen in The Rings of Power Season 1, as well as looking at how ritual plays a vital role in our own daily lives. If you want to support our community, check us out on Patreon. Subscribers get early and ad-free access to all of our podcasts, as well as a number of other benefits. More about this and our podcasting schedule uh, at the end of the podcast. So, David, we've got a special guest with us here today. We've got Ron. Ron, thank you so much for being here and for joining us on this podcast. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. I can't wait to jump into all of this because I got some thoughts, gentlemen. I got some <laughs> thoughts. Excellent. You're in the right place. Well, before we get to your thoughts on True Detective, can you tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, basically by day, I am a content marketer for a tech company. By night, I do uh, make a lot of TikTok videos about faith and deconstruction. I wrote a satirical memoir about my journey as a black man reconnecting with the black community. And uh, and I'm currently writing a second manuscript about my personal journey of faith. Uh, my podcast is Dungeons and Durags, named after my book. And uh, a while ago, I did a podcast called Radio Film School, which I kind of describe as This American Life for Filmmakers. So hmm. I've been around the podcasting parts for quite some time. And I'm good friends with your, I don't know, your brother podcast. The, the <laughs> our, spawn, yeah, we're, our spawn point, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've yeah. had Aaron on my show a few times, and I've been on his Excellent. as well. Yeah, and that's why I heard you first. You uh, you subbed in for the Fargo, one of the Fargo episodes. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, so I'm and glad you heard like, that. Oh my god! It. Yeah, I was like, I, I got to talk to this guy. We got to have this guy on our podcast. He immediately so. rushed the Discord to pitch you to me. Yeah, I did. Awesome. We got to we got to get him. Yeah, well, I, I feel honored. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm curious about your movie podcast. Is that just on hiatus, or is that done for now? Or? Yeah, it's done. I did it over two years. Uh, I think it launched in 2015, um, and at the time, No Film School called it the filmmakers podcast we've all been waiting for, and it's a <laughs> it's an audio uh, style documentary style podcast where I mix in interviews with lots of different filmmakers and have a lot of uh, different types of like audio design and sound design okay. and music. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's still online. You can still find it. Very cool. Awesome. 
Well, thanks again, Ron, for being here. David, I know you have a few things to say before we get into our discussion of True Detective Season 4 as a whole. Yeah. I wanted to to point out, I've, as I've been compiling the feedback and reading a few things online and listening to some other podcasts, it, it the point of or this distinction between criticism and critique, I think, is is really been highlighted for me uh, around this. This season has seemed to have engendered a, a lot of different reactions. There's some folks who just really love this. There's obviously the toxic fan bros from season one kind of thing. And I don't know. I know we're not really interested in litigating all of that other than to say that there is, there's a a space of personal enjoyment that's, you know, subjective and and that's your own. And then there's critique, right? We're going to go, Oh, did, you know, you know, this kind of was a little bit broken or this didn't line up quite right. Or there's a hole here in the plot. Like what, what's going on there versus criticism. Like, Oh, it sucked. Blah, 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 blah. I don't, you know, you know, I hated it. I hate the director, all that kind of stuff. And so one of the things that we really work on, at least on the Lorehounds is trying to be, um, to, to work from a place of, of critique and not criticism, you know, being critical without negative we don't really enjoy yucking other people's yums and, and things like that. So I, I think we really, for me, that's really where, you know, I just kind of want to invite all of the listeners into the space of we're, we're doing critique here and not criticism. So just, just be aware of that. Even though we're, we're maybe hard on a couple of points here or there, we, we are also not looking to, to tear the show down. And I think, again, the, the wide range of reactions from the, the people who've been watching the season really points to something that, that Lopez has touched on some stuff that has, has provoked reaction. And, and I, I kind of almost assert that, that that transcends it into art as opposed to just entertainment. So I just wanted to make sure that w- our listeners understood where we were coming from. Because um, I know we've strayed, I don't want to say we've strayed over the line in the past. We might have said some stuff and people weren't necessarily clued into where we were speaking from. So um, does that make sense, you guys? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. Okay, cool. You know, I want to say you mentioned Issa Lopez and and her the quality of her work this season. Did you know about three hours ago? Yes. <laughs> she was renewed for season five to to lead season five of True Detective. So oh, wow. it looks like she's that. gonna get another crack at this, which is good. And and it's not only season five of True Detective, but she's got an overall deal with HBO. So she's oh, gonna okay. be producing some other stuff for them. Uh, oh, outside cool. of the True Detective, uh, outside of the True Detective brand. That's so. awesome. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And and that's that's even more interesting to me because I, I think that there was a discussion on our Discord today that really struck me that said, do you think that this season was helped or harmed by its attachment to the True Detective brand? And I don't know. I don't know. I think she would have been graded on less of a curve. If it was not a true detective brand, uh, and and I mean a negative curve, like I, I don't think right. she would have been starting off like trying to measure up to something in people's eyes. Uh, but I also think that she wouldn't have had as much of a built-in audience if this were a new IP. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree on both counts as far as that's concerned. Uh, I think that when you look at first of all, much props to Isa. You get your paper, Isa. I think it's great <laughs> that she yeah. got the deal because she's empirically uh, a talented 
creator, filmmaker, writer, et cetera. And uh, I, you know, this question you brought up, John, is a question that I had. Like, was this hurt? And I think it was hurt in so much that it invited criticism that it probably wouldn't otherwise have had because of the comparison to season one. Um, and, and, you know, having it be a story that fits within the true detective brand, so to speak. And, uh, and two, I think there may have been directions she would have gone in if it wasn't connected to true detective, like would she have leaned more into the supernatural? And that's something we can talk about later if it wasn't connected as part of this true detective world. So, but like you mentioned, would it have gotten the audience that that it got if it wasn't connected to true detective? Probably not, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Even with Jodie Foster's name attached to it. Yeah. I don't think it still would have gotten as much as uh, if it didn't have true detective on it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many Apple shows have had huge names on them? And we just haven't seen a huge audience, right? Like Chris Evans was on an Apple show that like kind of didn't have a big viewership. And I don't know if a big actor is enough to sell a new IP these days. I think people really the- need to be in on a friendship on a franchise or in on an idea of a franchise, or you have to be the rings of power marketing with a billion dollars. <laughs> right. And even then you have the Lord of the Rings franchise, right? Like you have a built in fan base there. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking of uh, Josh Brolin, I think, was it Rangeland or something like that was on Apple TV? And I'm sure they're, they got a few uh, spikes in viewership on the early episodes, but then it sort of dropped off. And so, yeah, a big name isn't going to carry you episode to episode, right? It, it, it may get you that initial interest, but. Right. Well, anyway, we've kind of already started going into it, but maybe we should get into our overall hot takes on the season. So, Ron. As the guest, would you like to begin? Sure. Uh, I would say for me, I felt like it was, well, the positive. It was empirically well shot, well crafted. The acting was amazing. I think there's a lot of aspects about it where you just can't deny the quality of it. And I think I was a lot more drawn into the first set of episodes than the first. I would say the first half of the season I was a bigger fan of than the second half. Um, and I wasn't too hot on the on the finale, to be honest. That's my hot take on the finale. I didn't think it was terrible or bad or anything. And as we get along, you know, I can go into more detail. But I think my, the biggest critique I had of it from as a detective mystery, I didn't feel like they did a lot of detective work. If that, if that makes sense, right? And there, and there I, was some Sherlockian stuff for sure, but right, uh, right. And I think there's a way you can. I mean, what makes a mystery really uh, engaging for the audience is where you know the audience doesn't necessarily have to be able to figure it out, but like in subsequent watches, they could see little things where they could figure it out if they want. And I kind of felt like particularly in the finale, there was a lot of uh, interrogation expositional dumps that mm. kind of answered a lot of questions. So I liked how they got to certain destinations, like, you know, the the big mystery of how the men got out there, that kind of thing. I liked how they, I liked the resolution. I wasn't too crazy about exactly how they get there from a mystery 
detective yeah. perspective, personally. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah. I see what you're saying. The the whole, all right, let's sit down with a cup of tea and I'll tell you everything that happened. And <laughs> listen, children, to my story. Right. It was written long ago. Right. Uh, it, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. So that's my general hot take. And, and I think it's funny because I, I, I actually just recently watched season one. I, when it originally came out, I started it, but I never finished it. So it's fresh in my memory. And a lot of people kept referencing Supernatural. There really is no Supernatural in season one. Like the closest nope. thing to Supernatural are the visions that Cole has. Right, and and I never got the impression that they were supernatural. I got the impression they were leftover drugs that he had done. <laughs> you know, he was under nar- he was in you know he was undercover in narcotics for four years. Serious mid- PTSD, exactly. under a lot of stress. Yeah, I never got the impression they and, and, and they weren't presented in a way to make it feel like it was supernatural. Right. So I always thought, and I never saw seasons two and three. So maybe there was more supernatural illusions nope. in those. Nope. Season three tripped through time a little bit because of the mm. way that the character construct right. for Mahershala Ali's character right. was dealing with these multiple time frames right. and his own, I think, dementia. His character mm-hmm. might have had dementia and that's what his time trips were. But it wasn't at all um, you know, uh, moving through the boundaries of time and space right. Uh, right. You know, in, in Star Trek-wise. Yeah, yeah. And so I think... You know, from a hot take perspective, the conversation of the supernatural in this world, in this particular show, obviously came up a lot. And I felt like it was the kind of thing where if it wasn't connected to True Detective, maybe it would have been a more traditional supernatural detective show where she could have um, leaned in more to all of these references to Setna and the supernatural Mm -hmm. being more concrete as opposed to just what they were possibilities of head trauma or whatever. And you could have done that the other way as well, but I just kind of felt like it was, it just kind of left, kind of left me wanting it. And I think there were so many main storylines or primary storylines. I think that was the other thing that I felt kind of took away from it. All of these main through lines that we were following as opposed to having one, maybe two main lines to follow. I don't know mm-hmm. if you, if you two had the same sense from that. I think I felt more jumbled in the beginning mm-hmm. than I did at the end. It's fact, it, it's funny that you said that you liked the first half better. Cause I liked the second half way better. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I had similar issues to you with the finale. Maybe not the, cause I actually really liked the sitting around the table telling the story and then, Oh, it's just a story. Yeah. Uh, but I also have read all the wheel of time books. So I'm just a glutton for expeditional punishment. <laughs> and, <laughs> but you know, the first episode, I watch it and I'm like, I don't know if I should have agreed to cover this because I don't know if I'm going to like this mm. because it was just so much like mm-hmm. you're saying, right? Is It just felt like so many big plot lines that I couldn't wrap my head around yet. Uh, and, I, and I think the show took a long time to start answering its own questions. Right. And when, yes. when a mystery show is doing its job, it steadily answers questions and raises new ones. And I and I think it took a while to do that. Around episode three and four, I thought the show really hit its stride. Episodes five and six got a little weaker again. Overall, the season, I'd say like a B plus. It's not 
the best thing I've ever seen. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And I would recommend to people watch to watch it if they haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody says I'm looking for a good mystery show to watch on HBO. Great. I'll recommend this. Right. I just would say it's it's not the greatest show I've ever seen. Yeah. No, I think those are those are all good points. So, David, what were your initial thoughts on the season? Your initial thoughts, your final thoughts on the my season. final thoughts. Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts. Uh, I put uh, a lot of emotional work into this season, obviously, you know, doing the online detectives journal thing. And it's the first podcast that we covered out of the gate for 2024. And I think this slot uh, for this January, February timeframe on Sunday nights, HBO, it's got a lot of kinetic energy to it, right? It's a, it's a big one. Uh, and I think there's a lot of expectation for it. I think, um, it's funny because as I was as I was doing the outline for this season wrap up, I started listening to a bunch of the other podcasts. Um, the official one today, there was an amazing podcast, uh, Vanity Fair, still watching. They actually have Issa Lopez on. And spoiler warning for that: if you if you liked the mystery of what the show left you with, if you like that feeling of, don't listen to that because she just pulls the curtain back, she flips on the lights, and uh, she starts talking about how she you know did all the uh, the prop setup <laughs> and you know the the set decoration. Um, but it was really good, really interesting insight. But anyway, I, I had to stop myself from listening to all the other podcasts because I would, I'd be like doing the dishes and then I'd like run to my computer to make a note and then I'd come back and then I'd two, two minutes later, I'd run back and make another note because there's just so much density in this season of television. There are so many layers and issues that this little six episode season packs in. It's, it's kind of crazy. And I think I would echo both what you both have kind of said, which is I don't know that six episodes was enough for what she was trying to pack in the density that she was going for. It was too much for six. So by the time we hit three and she's still introducing new characters and we're like, wait a minute, (laughs) you know, we've only got three episodes to go and you're already dropping, you know, and you're still dropping a new character on us. What's going on? And so I don't know what the imperative was there. Why is it six and whose choice it was and what have you. And I'm glad it's not 12. I I don't know that that would have been a very different show, but I could have seen seven. And I I think I would have been more comfortable with seven, a little bit more breathing room, a little bit more detecting, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit more uh, character. There's a lot of character work, but it's again, very compressed. Whereas the original season one had 10 episodes and there were those long car rides where um, Russ and Marty would talk about all this stuff. And then there was a whole side quest mission that they went on for a couple of episodes where this like, man, everything was just really compressed and, and really fast. So I think that's my chief complaint is that the, the compression drove plot mechanics together in such a way that they kind of were grinding against each other a little bit. And I, and I had the experience of when I was doing the outlines or doing detective journal work and I was watching scene by scene, man, individual scenes were just bangers and just, Oh, there's so much fire there. The acting was incredible. You know, especially all these young actors like Callie Reese, Isabella star LeBlanc played Leah and Alam who played uh, Kayla. Uh, Aka, I'm not sure if I can pronounce her, her, 
last name correct me, uh, correctly, Nivanya, who played uh, Jules. Just, just an incredible am- amount of raw talent there that was just really well put together. And yet she's just hammering out story, you know, just more and more plot details, more and more little plot setups. And it's like, oh my Lord, you know, like we got, we got to slow down here. So I, I really loved this season of television. I think it's, it was a really fascinating look. I love the recentering of it to night country, to Alaska, to uh, a perspective of, you know, women, uh, as police officers, as these guardians, uh, that's one of the true detective, um, one of the, the, the hallmarks of a true detective season is this guard. What cost do the guardians pay to be guardians, to be the bad men at the door? Um, so I, I loved all of that visual effects. Amazing sound effects. Incredible, uh, side note on production. Uh, apparently according to, um, uh, Lopez on the Vanity Fair podcast. The whole thing about the color teal, hmm. complete. Uh, we, we call it a Markley. It's a it's a, a false lead. I um, knew it. I knew <laughs> it. Nothing, Those rare folks it. were like teal watch, and I banned it from this podcast. <laughs> I banned it from this podcast because I knew it was nonsense, and I it wanted was. my internet. Points. It was totally nonsense. So, uh, which is very cool. But anyway, um, so I, so much. I enjoyed. So sorry. Go ahead, Ron. No, I was going to say I. I, I mean, you maybe should finish your thought because there was yeah. one other point I was going to make about the detective work. Yeah, go for it. Um, like I, I always like to give like practical examples of like what I yeah, think could have made it better. So when I think about, and I don't want to compare it to season one, but it's the easiest because I just recently saw it. But any really good detective show. Even though, in obviously spoilers for season one, but even though they reveal to the audience who the killer was, you know, the guy with the scar on his face, whatever. Right. So we, we knew who he was. So we weren't necessarily f- figuring out the mystery, but we saw Cole figuring it out. We saw the pieces he was putting together. So even though we knew who it was, we could still come along his journey of figuring out what was going on. Right. As he's putting the pieces together. And here in this season, we have Jodie Foster, who they present as someone who knows her stuff. She's always like, you know, are you asking the right questions? Are you asking the right questions? The only one who's doing anything that seemed close to detective work (laughs) was little young prior. Like, he was the one that was going out. It's true. At the end of the day, Jodie Foster's character, you know, Danvers, didn't do anything that yeah. I can think of that was detecting. Um, if we had just seen examples of like, if she was maybe, I think maybe in the finale, I think she sees the three fingered handprint or doesn't yeah. borrow. See that she what does, if, but yeah. she has a flash. Yeah. It's, it's Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So she, she sees that. And so maybe that is the closest, but we don't see a thread of her putting two and two and two together and coming up with six. And, I almost said eight, but two plus two plus two. Anyway, yeah, you got we don't, it. You got it right. we don't see her putting all those threads together to arrive at who the who the killers mm-hmm. could be, and I think that's the kind of thing that would have kind of settled that for me and would have made it feel like, oh, these are detectives actually doing detective work to figure out what was going on. 
And um, even the moment where she figures out that Hank is involved in some way, mm-hmm. it's um, it's an intuitive moment based on a negative response from Hank. Hank doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, okay, you are involved in this somehow. And then she goes and she talks to, to Peter and, and sort of leads him through it. But there was that's all just a flash and a moment. We don't see her taking a puzzle piece from here right. and a puzzle piece from there and then another another puzzle piece and building a picture. It's right. more of an intuitive flash. Yeah. And that's fine. But as you said, there was just a lot of intuitive flashes, not a lot of case building. Right, right, right. And and Peter did a lot of the forensic, the digital forensic work. I will say if using the Socratic method is not doing anything i have a lot of professors to call up and get my money back from (laughs) (laughs) fair enough so i think overall i'm i'm satisfied with it as a season of television i'm proud of it as a season of television in that fact that isa lopez is you know breaking through and we're able to recenter some stories and talk about some story lines in a way that we don't normally talk about um, and, and talk and be with characters that we don't normally get to be with the mix of supernatural and the mundane I liked, except there was just a couple times where we swung so hard from one to the other. And again, I think that has to do with the compression of, of only six episodes, but the character work was really great. Uh, I could have seen some more time for them to develop. Mm-hmm. But the idea that these two women are going through their trauma, and that's a, another true detective hallmark for me, is the 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 brokenness of the two detectives gets intertwined with their personal lives, gets intertwined with the casework. Mm-hmm. And as the case becomes solved, so do their personal traumas become solved and they and the two merge right and then the idea is is then the our characters come out with a new perspective they don't necessarily have to be fixed <laughs> right. but they come out in they've evolved they've gone through an evolutionary a transformational process uh, through this and and now they're somehow different and yeah. so i think we got that and and that leaves me satisfied so for me, this is probably like a 9.0 on my on my idiosyncratic scale. So it'll probably land in the top 10. I don't know if it's going to stay in the top five because we've got so much more coming this year. But uh, I, I could pro- I feel that it's probably going to come in into the into the top 10. So that's mm. saying quite a bit. Yeah, like I'm, I, not, I, I'm not sure I'm there with you, David. But yeah, but yeah. we'll we'll talk at the end of the year. We'll talk at the end of the year. <laughs> right, right, right. But again, it goes back to. When I took apart the Lego pieces of the show, the individual pieces were, in some cases, really wonderful. And then it's her construction that that's the overall season construction that gets a little janky, a little bit wobbly and out of balance. Sure, sure. Mm. And I had some thoughts about the role of women and the role of indigenous women. But I, th- I think we have a letter coming up where that kind of comes up and I can address it there. Cause I, I had some thoughts about that as well. And, and as a, yeah. as a person of color who is very passionate about representation in Hollywood and how it's done. Yeah. There, there are definitely some commentary ahead about the show. Yeah. The first email up actually we've got uh, is a perfect framework for that. Yeah. Yeah. So I can hold on to that. In typical Lorehounds podcast fashion, 
this recording went way longer than we thought it was going to go. I think the raw recording was about two and a half hours, and David and I still need to go record the responses to the last few bits of feedback. So I'm going to do a quick outro here from this short season wrap where we just talked about our general thoughts. Then later in the week, there's going to be about a two-hour podcast coming out with just listener feedback from the whole season. So that'll be a lot of fun. Ron will be on most of that, too. For now, I just want to talk about what we're doing right now. We've got Shogun starting for our next premiere show. That's going to be on Hulu. It looks really good. It looks very Game of Thronesy. David's putting together a similar thing to the Detectives Journal for Shogun. We haven't named it yet, so write in if you want to try to name that with us. And uh, we also have Silmarillion stories coming back soon with Up Men. We've got a new episode of the Earth Sea Cycle coming soon. David's doing some Oscars coverage with Alicia. They're doing an MC Universe episode on Madam Web. Plenty of stuff coming. For now, uh, I just want to quickly shout out our uh, affiliates, Alicia and Anthony. Both of them are on a little bit of a hiatus right now, but I think Alicia is going to be back soon with uh, some Dune coverage. I also want to plug our Patreon subscription. We also just started a Supercast subscription where you can get a little bit more flexibility on your membership. I think it's a similar thing, same pricing as our Patreon, but it's going to give us a little bit more flexibility on how we offer things. So Patreon's not going away, but now you have another option. You can find all of that in the show notes where you can get ad-free episodes, early access. You can get our second breakfast, Shireside Chats, ton of exclusive content. Uh, and, of course, the Detective's Journal for True Detective and the Shogun Guide. Of course, our top-tier subscribers, our lore masters, get us shout-out at the end of every episode. Those are Samartian, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., Essie, Peter O. H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Deadeye Jedi, Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, Dally V21, Gnarls? And last but not least, Adrian. Uh, I just also want to give a thank you to our Discord server boosters. These are people who just, have their own free will, we didn't even ask. Uh, but have thrown a little, bu a few bucks to our Discord server to make sure that we have some extra features. Those are Opus and the Machine, Gnarls, Aaron K, Tiller, the Thriller, and John Lorehound. I, it's weird to thank myself, but thank you to everyone on that list and to our lore masters and to all our patrons and to all our listeners that stuck with us through the season. I hope you'll return for our season feedback, but until then, we'll see you on the next one. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.